Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea, and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis, from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. I've been really into this word lately, majesty. I noticed how often I have been using it, whereas it isn't one of those words that is typically in my everyday vernacular. Majesty reminds me of how a queen or royal holds herself with reverence, with dignity. Imagine someone saying to you as they hand you a cup of tea, Your Majesty. What honor and respect it bestows upon you as the receiver. When I think of someone addressing me as your majesty, I feel like I deserve the best. It restores something, something that has become lost amongst generations of ancestral struggle and scarcity. Imagine a world, if you would, where we all call one another your majesty. What if we are all royals? What if we could redefine these words, majesty, royal, queen, sovereign, so that they allow for the encompassing of all humans, rather than a tiny select few that were lucky to be born at the very top of a cultural hierarchy? Radical and perhaps paradoxical as it may sound, I believe that we all have royal roots, and it is time to embrace our innate majesty. As we take this next step, we enter into the golden ray of sovereignty. Think of every step we take on our evolutionary quest as one ray of a rainbow. The divine feminine archetype we learn to embrace at this stage is the queen, or the sovereign, if you prefer a more gender-neutral term. To explore the potential and possibility of our innate majesty, let's usher in the legends told across the European continent about Mary Magdalene. In this episode, I'm not going to so much tell one cohesive story about Mary Magdalene, but rather dip in and out of several different myths and legends about her legacy, her lineage, and the question of, is she the one we have been waiting for? Before we even get into this discussion, however, I'd like to create a foundation for the importance of a mythical lens. We live in a culture that, when it comes to stories from the Bible and the biblical era, 
likes to take things just a bit too literally and historically, especially in the case with Mary Magdalene. There is so much mystique that has been built around her these last hundreds of years that even I find myself asking, who really was Mary Magdalene? And what role did she play in the life and ministry of Jesus? But this is taking us into dangerous territory because for one story to be true and accurate from a literal and historical perspective, it means the others are automatically false. Here is a quote by Joseph Campbell from The Power of Myth that encapsulates the essence and importance of myth. Mythology is not a lie. Mythology is poetry. It is metaphorical. It has been well said that mythology is the penultimate truth. Penultimate because the ultimate cannot be put into words. It is beyond words, beyond images, beyond that bounding rim of the Buddhist wheel of becoming. Mythology pitches the mind beyond that rim to what can be known but not told. From a mythic perspective, all versions of the Mary Magdalene story are true. And there are many versions. When we enter the realm of myth, we enter a pluralistic, paradoxical reality. We bring multiple possible timelines to a crossroads and explore these timelines like a choose-your-own-adventure story. Let's embrace a mythic mindset where all versions of Mary Magdalene's story are possible and where the telling of these stories at this time in human evolution is important and needed and reveals a sizable shift in our collective consciousness. Here's another quote by Joseph Campbell, this one from The Hero with a Thousand Faces. The symbols of mythology are not manufactured. They cannot be ordered, invented, or permanently suppressed. They are spontaneous productions of the psyche, and each bears within it, undamaged, the germ power of its source. It has always been the prime function of mythology to supply the symbols that carry the human spirit forward in counteraction to those constant human fantasies that tend to tie it back. So, history is about what happened in the past. Myth has the power to move the human spirit forward. The question I invite you to ask yourself as we explore the varying mythos of Mary Magdalene, is which version of the story do you want to continue telling in order to move humanity forward? Now, as you hold that question in your heart, let's dig into 
the mythos. From a most traditional biblical perspective, Mary Magdalene was an apostle of Jesus Christ, the only woman recorded amongst them. She anointed Jesus with spikenard in preparation for his great sacrifice. She was at Golgotha, bearing witness to his crucifixion. And she was the one to find his tomb empty on Easter morning. Jesus then came to Mary Magdalene in spirit form to deliver his message to all the apostles. From a misogynistic perspective, Mary Magdalene was mythicized by the Catholic Church for hundreds of years and many, many generations as, quite simply, a whore. As a desperate and destitute woman come to Jesus to be cleansed of her demons and saved. However, over the past 30 to 40 years, a new mythology of Mary Magdalene has been cohering within the collective. Everyone from feminist biblical scholars to New Age spiritualists who channel ascended masters to goddess temple high priestesses have been calling forth her legacy, telling a different version of her story, and adding to the body of work in her name. And the story that is now being told takes a radical turn. This new story tells of Mary Magdalene being the wife or consort of Jesus, as well as being the mother of his children. This story begins with the importance of recognizing that Mary Magdalene was edited out of the Bible entirely on purpose in order to perpetuate a patriarchal mythology and solidify a misogynist religious belief system that satisfied the goals and aims of the newly founded Roman Catholic Church. It continues with the important understanding that Mary Magdalene was always present, hidden within plain sight. She was loved by some of the apostles like Philip and misunderstood and resented by others like Peter. She was an ordained priestess, trained in the Egyptian temples of Isis and the Palestinian temples of the Essene. She was from a wealthy family that actually sponsored Jesus' ministry. From this modern-day mythological perspective, Mary Magdalene was the feminine Christ to Jesus' masculine Christ. She was the living embodiment of Jesus' teachings. She was the vessel from which all of the wisdom attributed to him emerged. She and he created a whole. Theirs was a spiritual teaching where the feminine and masculine were both worshipped and balanced. The new mythology of Mary Magdalene picks up steam just after the crucifixion. Most versions of her story tell of her being with child, fleeing Jerusalem in fear of her life and hiding out for many years in Egypt, 
until she could secure passage to the European continent. She boarded a boat with one or more children, amongst them a child named Sarah, and along with others, including Joseph of Arimathea, and perhaps Mary, mother of Jesus, and Mary Salome, her sister. As they were about to set sail, however, the boat was attacked and stripped of its sails and oars. And so they drifted for many weeks among open waters with only prayer sustaining them. And eventually, miraculously, the boat drifted into the docks of Saint-Marie-de-la-Mer, a small fishing village in the south of Gaul, or what is now modern-day France. This is the point where the mythology of Mary Magdalene takes off in many different wondrous directions. One account tells of her settling in the south of France, living out the final 30 years of her life as a recluse in the caves of saint boom writing her memoirs, and a manuscript of her and Jesus' teachings. This account also tells of her daughter Sarah creating a following in France, her own ministry. Depictions of Sarah still hang in churches named in her honor. Another account tells of Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea journeying to the Isle of Avalon which is the modern-day town of Glastonbury, England. Here, Joseph set up the first Christian church of Europe, and Mary Magdalene became a priestess of Avalon. And yet, another account tells of her retiring somewhere in the Scottish Highlands. There is actually a church devoted to her on the island of Iona, where there is a stained glass depiction of Mary Magdalene with child within the arms of her husband, Jesus. What just about all of the new mythology has in common is that Mary came to the European continent with one or more children, and that those children weaved a hidden legacy and potentially a hidden lineage of their bloodline. What is startling is that none of this new Magdalene mythos is actually new. The lineage of Mary and Jesus and their legacy of love has actually been woven into literature and art since before the creation of the Bible as we know it. From the Gnostic Christians of ancient times claiming to tell the true story of Jesus, to medieval heretical Christian sects like the Cathars, slaughtered in the Inquisition because of their veneration of Mary Magdalene. To the troubadours, royal families, and artists of the medieval and Renaissance eras who hid the love affair between Jesus and Mary in plain sight within their songs, paintings, and literature. 
to new age secret societies popping up all over Europe the past 200 years, claiming to carry the royal blood lineage of Jesus and Mary. This is where taking the mythos of Mary Magdalene literally, in a historical sense, gets into tricky territory. Because wouldn't we all want to claim her and Jesus as blood ancestors? In light of the fact that all of us that carry European ancestry, myself included, have some not-so-pretty ancestral legacies to bear, it is understandable that we would want to grasp for something holy to redeem us from a history of colonizers, conquest, warmongering, Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all believe that we come from a legacy of true love? A love that was so powerful it crossed the Mediterranean Sea in a boat with no sails and no oars just so it could be remembered? If we shift our lens about the blood lineage of Mary and Jesus to a mythic, rather than historical perspective, this helps us to shift into a more holistic narrative where we all get to be one of their offspring, where we all get to believe we come from a lineage of royalty and majesty. Perhaps this is what we're all actually looking for in the telling of their love story. There is something to be said about this very recent surge of mythos around Mary Magdalene. Why is her legacy coming to light now? On a personal note, I want to mention that I have been rather obsessed with Mary Magdalene for several years. I've read just about all I can on her, and I studied in a priestess temple devoted to her legacy for over two years. This is a topic of extreme passion and purpose for me, so much so that I too consider myself a weaver of her contemporary mythos. I've had many dreams, mystical visions, and other spiritual experiences that plugged me into her living mythical legacy. But one such vision stands out that wants to be shared here. This was during a plant medicine journey on December 24th, 2021. I found myself in a lucid visionary state where I saw myself as a star hurtling through space towards planet Earth. The closer I got, the more I could feel a great collective female cry, like the whole of the female feminine collective was crying out in pain and anguish. I then saw Mary Magdalene within my mind's eye. I saw her dancing with ecstatic abandon in the desert under a night sky, naked, her long hair twisting around her body like snakes, the beat of drums pulsing, moving her within an altered trance state of hypnotic joy. Then my vision shifted. I saw the whole globe of the planet, like from the perspective of the moon, 
And all these tiny little lights turning on. Lights were popping up everywhere, more and more of them, whole clusters of them, showing me that the Magdalene, her consciousness, was returning within the hearts of people all around the world. I then saw Mary Magdalene leaving her home, clothed in red robes, a red head covering, and a red cloak. She was stepping onto a busy street, and strangers on all sides of her began to throw things at her. Vegetables, food, trash. They screamed obscenities at her. They called her a whore. They spat at her. And she simply walked on with her head held high. I share this because it was at this moment that I began to know on a deep level what was really taking place in regards to Mary Magdalene within the collective. That it was not a woman either maligned or venerated in history that was shifting the consciousness of our planet, but a frequency, a new collective archetype called the Magdalene, or the new feminine Christ, you could say. The biggest difference between embracing Mary Magdalene with mythic potential versus historic fact is that it allows us to expand into becoming the Magdalene. She isn't just a woman who may or may not have been married to Jesus 2,000 plus years ago. She is an archetype that we can choose to embody. So what if we were to step into the consciousness that we are the Magdalene? A multiplicity of Magdalene's in all varying mythos, illuminating the globe of planet Earth, just as my vision revealed to me. There is a quote I'd like to read now that comes from the writing of Fiona McLeod, which was actually a pen name and the alter ego of a late 19th century writer named William Sharp. No one knew that Fiona McLeod wasn't a real person until William Sharp died. She wrote autobiographical accounts of her life on the Isle of Iona in the Scottish Highlands, a magical and mystical place that captivated mainland English readers at the time of her writing. Nowadays, Fiona McLeod is known as actually being someone who prophesied the return of the feminine Christ. Remember that it was upon the island of Iona that a legacy of Mary Magdalene has remained since ancient times. Here is what she wrote in an essay entitled Iona from the book Foam of the Past. It is commonly said that if he would be heard, none should write in advance of his times. That I do not believe, only it does not matter how few listen. I believe we are close upon a great and deep spiritual change. I believe a new redemption is even now conceived of the divine spirit in the human heart that is itself 
as a woman, broken in dreams and yet sustained in faith, patient, long-suffering, looking towards home. I believe that though the reign of peace may be yet a long way off, it is drawing near, and that who shall save us anew shall come divinely as a woman, to save as Christ saved, but not as he did, to bring with her a sword. But whether this divine woman, this Mary of so many passionate hopes and dreams, is to come through mortal birth or as in mortal breathing upon our souls, none can yet know. Sometimes I dream of the old prophecy that Christ shall come again upon Iona, and of that later and obscure prophecy which foretells now as the bride of Christ now as the daughter of God, now as the divine spirit embodied through mortal birth in a woman, as once through mortal birth in a man. The coming of a new presence and power, and dream that this may be upon Iona, so that the little Gaelic island may become as the little Syrian Bethlehem. But more wise it is to dream, not of hallowed ground, but of the hallowed gardens of the soul, wherein she shall appear white and radiant, or that upon the hills where we are wandered, the shepherdess shall call us home. The shepherdess shall call us home. (sighs) Just take that in for a moment. We are yearning for home. We are yearning for healing. We are yearning for love. We are recognizing on a collective level how we have been missing out over all these years, fed half the story of a mythos, which thus hasn't adequately fed our souls. It should be noted that this idea of the return of the feminine Christ is actually a multicultural mythic arc. Take the well-known Lakota legend of white buffalo calf woman, whose return was said to herald a new era where all the people's prayers would be answered and fulfilled. Mary Magdalene as a symbol of the feminine Christ becomes the return of the nourishment and healing and a homecoming to our majestic origins. Mary Magdalene was scorned, ridiculed, and hidden from us for thousands of years by the institutions that dictated our cultural mythos. Her legacy was violated just as women were violated for thousands of years. Is this why she has been chosen within our collective consciousness as the new feminine Christ? because so many of us women can relate to her story? As Mary Magdalene swirls within our collective consciousness, she returns us to our feeling bodies, the bodies that are grieving, the bodies that are filled with anger and rage, the bodies that are holding generations of female trauma. We cannot bypass the fact that we, 
as the Magdalene have been labeled as whore. But we must also remember that history is about the past and myth is about the future. What legacy as Magdalene's do we wish to weave? What consciousness does she gift us that will help us evolve humanity? The Magdalene gifts us the consciousness of love, an unconditional, unifying love, the love that Jesus taught and that Mary Magdalene embodied to heal these generations of abuse and create a new blueprint for humanity. Over the course of the last three episodes, we've talked a lot about the essence of feminine and masculine energy and how, ideally, we contain a balance of both, and also how it is actually our feminine, embodied, intuitive wisdom centers that lead us. So this weaves us back to our divine feminine archetype, of the queen or sovereign. When we invite the Magdalene as the feminine Christ to help us heal generations of scorn, hiding, and abuse, we reclaim our majesty and sovereignty. Our feminine comes back into her royal throne of authority. This requires a radical revisioning of the traditional narrative we have been fed, with Jesus as the teacher and prophet and Mary Magdalene as his disciple. If we are to truly embrace the Magdalene as the sovereign throne of wisdom, it requires that we see Jesus in a somewhat different role as the speaker, the voice, and the light of the wisdom that poured through her chalice. His teachings would never have existed without her. Remember that in this particular mythology, we are reuniting the feminine Christ with the masculine Christ. Jesus and Mary become symbols of masculine and feminine energies respectfully. Both of these frequencies can be embodied by men and women alike. The counterpart to the divine feminine archetype of the sovereign is the divine masculine archetype of the lover. The lover is the masculine energy our feminine sovereign centers of authority need in order to properly lead. We do not need a king. We need a masculine presence that loves and worships us with abandon. We need a masculine presence who will bow to us and address us as your majesty. Isn't it kind of wondrous to paint a new picture of Jesus as a man who bowed at the feet of his queen? who loved her with such devotion, abundance, and abandon that this love gave birth to an entire ministry about creating heaven on earth. When we become the Magdalene, we begin to feel deserving of a love so grand and so abundant. We begin to honor 
all of our feminine needs and desires, rather than write them off as irrational or too much. We come out of our cages of scarcity and into the grand castles of our royal self-worth. We begin to understand that majesty has nothing to do with the blood of our ancestors and everything to do with the myths and legacies of empowered, sovereign, feminine power that we choose to emulate. Likewise, we redirect our masculine Christ consciousness into feeding our feminine seat of power with that boundless, undying love, light, and adoration. I believe that this unification of the sovereign feminine queen and the masculine divine lover has the potential to truly transform us in a way that we may not even be able to see yet. This is the love that unifies heaven and earth and soul with body. This is the love that takes us into a new understanding of what it means to be human. This is the love that heals the wound of separation that has divided us from our original divine feminine source, Mother Earth. We may not be able to know the exact implications for this, but I, for one, am here for it. I trust completely in a future led by the story of the feminine Christ returning to her seat of power, with the masculine Christ by her side, bowing to her, kissing her softly, whispering into her ear, Your Majesty. I invite you to begin to weave your own story of the Magdalene. Which narrative arc do you desire to follow? What rings with the golden, pristine sounds of truth about the return of your own feminine Christ consciousness? Furthermore, I invite you to ask your own feminine seat of power and wisdom what she wants and desires the most. And without issue or question, hold that request sacred. Find a way to fulfill it. We will be back in the next episode with a new myth from a different time and different part of the world as we journey to the citrine ray of ecstasy. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest, with me, Charlotte Alea. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.